This is the Post America Podcast. That's right, motherfucker. What the fuck you know about podcasting? This is our shit. Post America. Macho Black, Richie Crutch, Chrissy the Baboon. Post America Podcast, son. Download that shit, motherfucker. What's up, everybody? This is Richie from the Post-America Podcast. Another episode. Today we have Anthony from uh, Gorilla Biscuits and uh, a great tattoo artist, good guy all around. How you been, Anthony? I'm good. No one's going to know who you're talking <laughs> talking about with Anthony, though. Anthony Civarelli. Civ. Civ. Yeah, Civ. Civ's better. My, Anthony is like, it's too like my mom. But yeah. I'm good, man. How are you? Good morning. I'm and, good, bro. Uh, haven't seen you since Persistence Rock and Roll Adventure. Yo, Siv, give me one second. I got to turn something off. Hold on. Do it. <clears throat> Sorry about that. No, it's okay. That was a, uh, it's raining real bad down here. Is it by you or not? Not yet, but um, I'm looking forward to driving uh, to work today in a hurricane. Yeah, that's what it's like. And yeah. uh, my alarm thing just went off at like the backyard, something, uh, when it gets too filled up, an alarm goes off. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so at least it warned me. Yeah. Yeah, that was a dope tour, right? That was a very, yeah. I mean, that was a really good tour, I thought. and A lot, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. And um, I, I kind of knew it was, I knew, you know, like when you're doing something and you think it's cool, but you're not sure. But yeah. about three days in, Gallo um, from Agnostic Front, he was just like, yo, best tour. He's like, I've been on these things before. No one ever even smiles. He's like, so <laughs> we're doing really good. Everybody's having fun. So that made me feel good that everybody was having a good time. Oh, yeah, it was so fun. And no I one smiles. Like, Dude, was that's rough. I, 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 it was good. So I made a lot of new friends. And it's rough when you're on. But you know what? I've been there, man. I, I did so many Civ tours in Europe like during the winter. And you get cracked. You don't even see the sun sometimes. You know, you got to be awake. You know, you got to be at your, like, most awake peak performance as, like, 11 at uh, night. And then you wind up sleeping until 2 in the afternoon. And then the sun goes down in two hours and you're just fucking cracked. And yeah, that's sleep. true. Yeah, yeah. Some, sometimes you never see the sun. You never see the sun. And that, that affects me. And I'm just like, ugh. So I've been, I've been, you know, I've been on those tours where it's like, three or four weeks straight in Germany in like February and you, your mind just goes, you just wind up so pissed off. But this was, I thought this whole thing was comfortable, you know, you know, stupid stuff that people don't know about, you know, touring that we, we know, you know, like road, road dogs. know. you just, the food, how you sleep, like what kind of water you <laughs> options you have what kind of how the coffee is little things can crack the shit out of you on tour at least me i get cracked easy when i'm when i'm, I'm a sensitive guy you know i just get really bored sometimes but uh this tour yeah. I, I was not bored i was always having a good time i can get myself in the in the headspace where i'm just like all right you're gonna walk around in circles and you're going to do like your routines and you, you know, the only thing bad is like, you know, by like week two and you're like, you know, given you're figuring out the finger points and the high fives and the like, what's up to the same people every day, day in, day out. When you're yeah. yeah. <laughs> but everybody was cool. There was no weirdness. 
and um you know i never ever hung out with like um billy um biohazard and like i was like you know what man i'm just gonna like sit down and chop it up with this dude first day and and we we spoke and had some good dad talk and uh you know rock talk and it was cool man he's a good dude and i didn't know oh that's cool wow you really never uh came in contact with him too no much, bio, you know biohazard wasn't really my thing and i know evan and i know um you know uh see bobby in, in places but and like we would and i would be on the same like uh, when i was doing the sip stuff it was we were on the same um tours and like tour schedule as those guys but um you know it was to me i was just you know young and kind of stupid i was like oh that was metal or this or that and i didn't really think of it as like a band or showmanship i you know i just come from hardcore so i was like oh that's how these dudes probably are and then i met i met billy on this thing and so i didn't even know he was a, a jujitsu black belt i was you know watching him roll with joe and stuff it was sick roger so it was cool i got to and you know and i never really hung out too much with you guys until the tour either so i feel like i made a lot of new friends it was cool luke didn't aggravate you at all or it was all right luke <laughs> you know i feel i feel responsible for luke in a lot I, of ways you should. i feel like i caused i didn't <laughs> he went down a dark path on his own but i brought him to the you know the forest and um <laughs> and I, I I got pictures to prove it. He just went down a different path. And but I don't think anybody has more fun on tour than Luke. Yeah, he takes advantage of every every day, every he, moment. Yes. He is Carpe Diem personified. He is he just lives and he just lives well and some nights I'm afraid he's going to like have alcohol poisoning or have a heart attack. <laughs> but besides that, he just really gets after it. I, in it, you know, Hey, he didn't get the, uh, he didn't get the spirit award for nothing. That's right. He, he, he proved it. He put some stuff out on the line. And that was and, so cool for, for people that don't know. Uh, Siv and some of the other guys made Luke an award and it looked, it, it was, it was so official. It was like, uh, <laughs> it's oh, yeah, like it was like a certificate thing, right? With the stamp and all of that. that yeah, was, we, um, he, he shut well, you know, when technolo he got technology and iPads, Dan, uh, Dan Smith, uh, helped me, uh, whack, uh, whack it up. But it was stigma. Stigma came up with the idea cause someone gave him a framed picture of himself and he was like, <laughs> and he was like, <laughs> Anthony, we gotta we gotta give Luke something. He's just the you know he's the vibe. He's the whole thing. He's just the spirit. He's so pumped. He's and I was like fuck yeah. So me and uh, Dan, I'm sure there's other people sitting there with us, but we're using Dan's iPad and uh, we made him an award. And it was like all around you know for like screaming, yelling, eating, drinking, all around merriment, drum playing. Yeah. But it was just, you know, but you need, you need dudes like that in your life. You need guys who are going to go the extra mile to just, you know, not like, you know, be like PMA tip, but that was, he's hit. That's what he's got. And it's, and, and it's, it's infectious. Yeah. So man. I think everybody was in, uh, you know, you never in, in your, as a, like a hardcore kid, you never think, okay, I'm going to be playing a show and Vinny Stigma is going to be standing on the side of the stage, like <laughs> fucking pumping it up and getting psyched. Or, you know what I mean? Like shit like that doesn't happen in, in like your, in your brain. Yeah. 
And I think everybody watching each other every night, it was very, this is, you know, people are going to be like, whatever. But it's just, it was, it was totally like hardcore vibes. Like everybody was hanging out, watching each other. Nobody was being rock and rolly. And, and uh, I, I, from the first band to the last band, everybody checked each other out, wearing each other's t-shirts. It was just great. Yeah, it was. I, I definitely, go ahead. No, I had a couple issues with the with our makeup people, you know. But other than that, it was smooth. But yo, when it comes to Luke, like you're such a big influence on him, and we know this. But why why didn't he become influenced? Well, why didn't he take the good points, the straight edge, the the diet? He seems like it's, it's you know too, what I mean. It's too boring. It's too boring. <laughs> it's he's it's my life. My lifestyle is is whack compared to his. He's he's next level. I mean, yeah. he's not going to pass up, uh, you know, a fine wine and a plate of gabagol. He's going to eat it. I'm going to pass it up, and that's the, that's the difference. He's he's sucking the nectar out of life. He's he's eating the ambrosia of the gods. That guy. He's, you yeah, know, but I don't, I don't know what's happening inside of him, but. Exactly. Um, he's having a good time. If he goes out, he's going to go out on a high note. So I'm yeah. not, I'm not worried. Honest. His days are numbered. We got to be honest. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. He might be cutting his, his lifespan in half. Yeah. But he's, but he's, but he'll still, even if he only has half the time on this earth as the rest of us, he's going to, he's going to like have lived more than all of us though. Yeah. We're like a long, boring movie and he's like a real short, funny sitcom. Oh, he's like, he's like the guy jumping out of a plane with no parachute with a Red Bull naked. And <laughs> so I'm just hoping that someone's going to fly down and catch him and give him a shoot. What a, he is, he's sick. Yo, what makes, what makes Gorilla Biscuits decide you're going to play? You're going to do a tour because you guys, you're very random. You're very, yes. uh, you're very careful, it seems, what you what you play, what you don't play. Yeah, like, I think we're we're um, we try to be. Um, well, we're lucky in a way that my my job and it is allows me to have a lot of freedom, and the other guys mostly just play music. And Charlie plays with us now, and he's a he owns a bar. So he can take off. The only one schedule that we're on is Arthur. So that really dictates what we can and cannot do. And the tour was, I was approached about that tour in Germany after we played a show at SO36 and Mark MAD hit me up. And there was a, there was a few, a few things that make me say, yeah, okay, we'll do it. It's the timing. It's the who's involved. And then, you know, of course, it's like the money and the comfort factor. Like if I'm going to be in someone's borrowed van sleeping on the floor with like a dog, I'm probably going to go, eh, I don't really need to play that show. Been there, done that. But if it's, if it's like uh, we can do it like humans and uh, comfortable adults and uh, be in a good mood to play a good show, then cool. I, I, I've done hundreds of shows where I've been in a fucking crack because of, uh, the travel or the accommodations or the uh, attitudes or who we're playing with and you get in your head and you get fucking weird and it comes out on stage you still play like a good show but it's a different vibe so if you can play something where i feel like you're comfortable you're happy you're doing it for the right reasons and that's the other thing after all this time playing it's like we don't have to play i want to play when the vibe is cool 
and it's for me. It's not for a job. It's not for money. It's because I want to play. You know, like you know, like the record fucking says, if you you know, why play for us if your heart's not in it? I want my heart in it. I want to be in the right frame of mind. So um, we and then we we got approached by Mark, and he was like, we already have H two O and Agnostic Front on board, but we need someone to headline. And then my brain goes, you can't headline over Agnostic Front. You know what I mean? And because they're, they're the kings. And then it's like, there's a lot of pressure with that too. Because Agnostic Front in Europe is, you saw it, it's fucking sick. Yeah. They bring out all the stops. So you got to, you know, you have to step, you can't half step it. You got to bring your A game to try to follow them every night. And luckily in Europe, I think people have uh, memory and respect for the bands no one walks out because they're worried about catching a train or they saw these guys you know last year or some shit like that or they're taking too long to get on stage you know what i mean i think uh, that's why that's why hardcore did so well in europe when we first started going over every year you'd go back and your audience would get bigger and the shows would get better because people show up and i think sometimes in the states that doesn't happen. People are just like, eh, it's raining out, you know, shit like that. And yeah, it could be hit or miss. You yeah, guys were real yeah. early too in Europe with the, uh, you kind of set the tone for that a little bit, right? We, we actually did because Youth of Today went over um, and Walter played in Youth of Today and they went over in like 80, 88, I think. Um, and then he came back and he was like, people want us to play. I met these guys. And so we went in 89 with uh, this guy, Sid, and he was just like Italian dreadlock anarchist squatter dude. And we played two months in squats all around Europe. And that set the tone for my, my brain for the way it is now where I got fucking ruined, but it taught me about politics and it taught me about suffering and resilience and like, you know, stealing up my backbone and and getting through stuff and um you know fighting fucking guys tr- trying to kill the promoter one time the guy these kung fu they were like these kung fu squatter punks and they like broke the the glass doors to get it to get at us and we had to protect me and wow. sid we had to protect kung, the, kung fu squatter punks you know what i'm saying think of the fear in your like 19 year old self when like eight <laughs> guys dressed like sid vicious are kicking in the glass doors of a, a youth center Holy and shit. you got you a scared promoter and sid the squatter luckily sid had some sort of utility belt on with with like cop mace so he maced the whole hallway. We all were like, you know, throwing up and snots running down our face and, and burning eyes. And they were calling us fascists for having mace. But I felt I felt that was a fair one. I felt it was like eight against three. So it was a fair one. Sid was probably really insulted by that. Sid was hurt. That was like a knife in his heart. That was the worst thing you could call Sid. Yeah. So he, he did a gut check after that. He was like, wow, is Mace fascist? Should I not have the Mace? <laughs> Should I, I just like, take the beating next time and prove yes, I'm not a fascist? That would be punk. Yeah, if you want to be punk, you just take the kung fu beating. But I was, uh, I said, no, Sid, you did the right thing. And you know, <laughs> two months? Yeah. Wow. I mean, we, we, this was, before, you know, there's no iPads, there's no iPhones. You're, you're driving around with a map 
with, uh, you know, people who have no idea where they're going. You don't even know if the shows are set up. Yeah. You know I mean, you're calling people from pay phones with like a bag of coins. Every single country is a different um, monetary unit. You have different coins for every fucking phone. You have to have a different calling code for every phone if you're using a calling card. You know what I mean? Like touring now is such a cakewalk. This I'm surprised you even went back. You know what it is though? Like I'm, uh, you know, working class fan. My dad's a truck driver, was a truck driver and I, I grew up in Queens. I never even thought I'd get to Europe. You know mm. what I mean? Yeah. So the fact that I toured Europe and I got to see everything and my eyes were opened up to like the world and how big it is, but also how small it is. Um, you know, hardcore gave me all that. The States were, you know, the first thing I did in 87 with Youth of Today. And that was a mind blower. And these, those guys will attest to it. Every state I was like, yo, I'm staying. This is, this is the best place ever, but I'm just going to stay. And they would literally just be like, get in the van, shut up. You fell in love with America. I did. Well, and girls. That, <laughs> that was the reason to stay usually. But it was, uh, it was, and then we got to California and it was like, God, this is sick. But, and, but Europe opening up was definitely, um, Sid started it, but then we got approached in 91. And I think still bands hadn't gone over except like Agnostic Front and like the Dickies and some of the bigger bands um, went over. And in 91, I went with Mark uh, MAD. We were one of the first bands to go over. And he did, he, his thing was clubs and like where they would refer to as discos. And we went with Mark and the money was actually like money where you could like, you know, survive on. And the shows were fucking awesome because we did the work the year before, you know, the legend kind of grows after you play a place and people missed it. So they want to come back and see it. But the, the second time we went back with Mark, um, it was it was an entirely different thing. It was it was it was a next level tour for us. And then I came home. I think I was probably still in Europe because Mark was like, "I want you know all the New York bands," and I was like, "I want to give them to you." So I remember I called I called either Freddie or Hoya. I called sick. I called uh, Pete. I'm sick of it all. I think I talked to Roger um, about Mark, and we just connected all these all the bands and then it trickled down, you know, like everybody else kind of trickled down. And so that's how Mark got the full roster of like New York hardcore bands and like, or East coast bands to go with them. You should be getting a taste off every New York hardcore band. to go. I don't want to, I don't want to say I should wet my beak, but I, Mark, uh, Mark uh, should maybe think about it. He definitely should. Send me a check. That's, See, that's where that's where it is. You're hardcore. You don't think about you don't think about yeah. you're, you're dumb. You don't think about the, the the money and the bottom line. You're just hooking up your friends. And then the Chromax. The cool thing was, I was in I was in Berlin, staying at Mark's apartment, and the Chromax were following us up. John, John Joseph talks about the tour, um, in his book. And I was there when those guys came. My, our, our, our tour was over and theirs were just starting. But it isn't like now where you fly in the day before. Like you've kind of flew in like, you know, four or five days before. You kind of acclimate. You kind of, you know, get your surroundings. You're in Europe. It's like a little vacay before you start touring. Uh -huh. But they, they went right after us. 
and you know that was probably such a sick tour i would imagine oh yeah i bet now when when you go over there and and like the, the first guy you dealt with sid and he's super political was he expecting like bands like you guys to be as political as him was he disappointed if if he didn't yeah i think i think um i think some of the older heads were super disappointed because you know we were just stupid you know kids and we were like taught we had our own political things happening in terms of like things they couldn't wrap their heads around as serious as, you know, like the straight edge movement or like, um, you know, vegetarianism or veganism that was about as political or as like wild as we would get, you know, there'd be like some basic friendship issues or stab in the back issues, but there was nothing, no real political or social kind of movements. But again, there was no internet. There was no, um, like a worldwide consciousness that there is now that you can like attach yourself to. Yeah. So it was different. And I remember being in a squat and they would always like before the shows, they'd set up like we'd call the gruel. They'd set up like a big giant pot of some kind of like squat stew and it would be vegan and it'd be like loaves of bread. And that was like your food for the day. And some dude, there was a, um, it had, it was, one of them had a kitchen that had like this little anarchist kind of bookstore and cafe. It was very European. Like you sit there and you sip an espresso or a tea and you read books in your giant sweater with no heat on. And um, I remember reading, there was like this conspiracy book on AIDS and I was like, what the fuck? Cause I was like working right down from uh, the um, gay and lesbian community center on 12th street at the time. Uh So I saw a lot of people. I knew a lot of my friends, a lot of customers dying weekly, you know, for the AIDS crisis, when the AIDS crisis hit New York early. And, um, so I was like reading that as, you know, and it was like, this is a man main thing, the government population control. And I was like kind of tripping. And then I started talking to one of the main dudes at the squat. Can't say he's a squat leader, but he was the squat leader. And I, I started getting kind of pissed off um, because he was popping so much shit about like the United States. And I found myself soup in like a super like idiotic, you know, state where I was just like, fuck you, man. Like America's the best. Yeah. And, and I start like, you know, defending, <laughs> defending the stupidity of things that the country does. And, and he, you know, he could tell I was getting hot and like my, you know, my eagle feathers were sprouting and the red, white, and blue is happening. And, um, <laughs> you start like quoting like your dad and stuff, you know? And he was like, dude, I'm not saying Americans are bad. I'm not saying the United States are bad, but their policies are bad worldwide. He's like, Siv, your president is an actor. He's not a politician. He's a Hollywood actor. And like, that was like, like light bulb. And I was, Mm. and it's like a slap in the face with a light bulb. And I was just kind of like, yeah, he is, huh? And then that just opened up a whole can of worms. And then I, you know, then I realized how not political we were and how not uh, conscious we are as a scene. As, um, you know, where Europeans were, the punks were very political. Yeah, yeah. And we were just, we would handle local, I think, p- politics and local um, ideas, but we wouldn't go, 
like uh, nationally or globally, you know what I mean? Because we were concentrating on just like our own little scenes. So yeah, and back then I always felt like they, uh, a lot of the, the scene in Europe assumed that the American bands from the same scene were as political, you know? Yeah, I think they, they, were, I think they were hopeful. Yeah. Because it's hard to see how, how pissed off and angry and uh, outspoken people were, but with a real n no idea about uh, politics or, or movements or groups or what happens in their um, countries and their, and, and their governments. And it's, I think it's still like, I think it's still like that. You know, one of my customers one time, one of my customer, one of my customers one time said to me, uh, and he was like a dude, he was, a, you know, he was a big fucking Mamaluke, uh, like tattoo, tattoo guy. And you wouldn't expect it, but he had some real like liberal left wing, um, vibes about him. But, you know, he had a, drove a Harley, he had this gigantic, head the size of like a human torso <laughs> and he 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 said to me something i don't remember exactly what it was but he was just like you know he's like these fucking people brother all you got to do is give them an american flag to wave and they'll let you fuck them every time oh, and i was I like, like that. i like that yeah because that's what it is it's like you just you you play on the patriotism and make them feel like they're turning their back against America and give them a little flag to wave or a fucking American bandana or a fucking Harley shirt with an Eagle on it and some camouflage <laughs> and then they're ready to strap on guns. And, you know, I was watching something last night and, and a guy said the uh, anti anti-fascist movement is against America. And I was just kind of like, okay, so you, your, your fathers fought fascists in World War II and Nazis, but if you're against Nazis and fascists now, now you're anti-American. So it's like, you don't even know what you're saying. You know what I mean? Like, it was just like an older, you know, biker dude. Yeah, but, witnessing this, this thing against Antifa is crazy, isn't it? It's, it's kind of like, wait a second, to be American, we have to back... Confederate flags, Nazis, and fascists. Otherwise, you're not a real American these days. Yeah. And it's kind of like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'm not a real American because I'm going to probably check. Let me check. Yeah, I'm going to probably not do that. <laughs> and the whole Antifa um, thing is, I think it's brand, it's, you know, it's brand new to so many people. Yeah. And they think it's like this, you know, ISIS equivalent terrorist group. Yeah. It's crazy. People are nuts, man. It's just, it's so fashionable with the skinny jeans and all in black. It's just a, a very fashionable, gr fashionable group. So <laughs> yeah, I good. mean, they're just, they just want to look good while they're protesting. Now check it out. When you said before, like you had that reaction to become all patriotic when you're arguing with the guy, mm -hmm. that's a weird thing, isn't it? I, I've, I oh, just, yeah. I've been watching, uh, what's that guy? Elliot, something, John, Oh, he took over for uh, something Oliver. You know what I'm talking oh, about? Uh, I know the guy Oliver, yeah. He, I don't know who the new guy is, but I know who, who uh, John yeah. Oliver Oh, John Oliver. John Oliver and the other guy, Trevor Noah. Okay. Yes, I like Trevor Noah. Yeah, I like both of them. But mm -hmm. I, I, I've noticed I was getting mad because I'm like, these fucking guys aren't even American and they're talking so much shit. I'd prefer if an American guy was criticizing the country but in this way. But American guy doesn't have the outside perspective because we're conditioned as from kids to like, you know, John Wayne, Vietnam, World War II, we're the best, we're saving everybody, we're kicking ass. 
and Chuck Norris. And we get like that as a, you know, as a boy growing up in like the States, I can only speak from my, my perspective, but you get like, we're the best. And we, you know, and then yeah. you get like the dudes who, you know, you get the like, if it wasn't for us, you'll all be speaking German now yeah. and shit like that. <laughs> and that, but that's how, you know, GI Joe's growing up, you get that. And then you got to fucking, it's hard to shake that off and say, okay, I got to think of this as if it's not my country and see what, you know, I mean, when you, and that's the other thing about going to Europe, like, believe me, I'm a, I'm a, I'm always going to live in the States and I'm always going to probably be a New York guy. But, um, when you go to other countries and you see the standard of living and with healthcare and education, especially, and how, um, when people retire and how elders are, are treated, you're like, why the fuck do I live in the States? What am I doing? Yeah, it's it's and but again, there you were taught, and where it's indoctrinated and we're pounded into our heads that you suffer because you're American and you're tough, so you got to work for it. Nothing's given to you. You know, socialist pussy. And it's like uh, I love socialism. I I love the roads. I love uh, the idea of healthcare. You know what I mean? It's college. So that, that's the thing, but we're so like socialism is communism, communism is bad. We're, you know, rather be, you know, dead than red. All these like catchphrases. A lot of it was just really good advertising and marketing. And, like, yeah. Movies. Socialism is like a, the worst thing to be called right now. Forget oh, it. Oh my God. People would like, they'll, they'll kill you. They'll fight. They'll fight you. Yeah. Too. yeah. But they don't even know what it means. Liberal is a really bad word right now too. Oh, that's yeah. I'm a, I'm, I'm all the worst things. Yeah. Yeah. And it was funny because I'm watching these guys. I'm, I'm agreeing with everything they said, but in my head, I'm like, yeah, you guys, you guys are from another fucking country. Get an American to say this stuff. Then I'll go yeah. along with it. Fuck you, like, English that, guy. Yeah. That's how crazy we are. <laughs> We're lucky we came and saved your asses. I, I noticed your, your, your bass player who's incredible. Uh, bass. He's very, uh, very liberal. And, and he, what I like about him is he likes to battle. He like you know, there's oh, no, there's no disguising his liberal. Yeah, he, he wants to show. He was, it. He's. I think he even refers to himself as a Marxist. Wow, that's but crazy. He he's to the point. Yeah, I can't even. I, he's he lives my he lives upstairs from me. He's my tenant, but I can't battle him. I don't even want to start talking because it just doesn't stop. Yeah, I love it. Either, he, it's either that or looking cats. For a battle, yeah. I don't want to talk about cats, and I don't want to talk about politics with my friends usually it's like irish bar no religion no politics let's move on you're like, better off you're better off you always yeah that's how it is at the shop too and and uh even with this shit with the coronavirus people it's I, i'm like i just want to talk about anything i want to talk about anything except your experience during the coronavirus that's yeah. like all that happens at work it's just like can we please move on but it's not time yet Jeez, will it ever be time? I mean, I, I'm I'm ready. Nobody knows well, what to think, right? You, you, yeah, you I was just trying to. I try to switch the subjects to like something good, like that that just happened, or something that I did, or you know, just any kind of anything. I'm just like, yeah, that's cool, anyway. So, well, since you guys are so particular with when, where you play, does this long gap of even if you wanted to play, you couldn't? Does it make you have like yearn for it? more so than normal you think or no no i <laughs> i we've we've played so long as individuals and together and in different incarnations in so many bands um that 
I'm just like, it's actually sort of relieving because instead of thinking about the next thing, um, the next tour, the next toy, the next t-shirt set, the next, um, you know, what comes after that, what comes after that kind of thing. Just Cause a lot of that falls on my, that all falls on my plate. Mm. Um, now I'm just throwing my hands up in there and it's like, Hey, you know, we'll play when we can play. And, and I'm just going to like go do shit upstate and like work. And I've, it's been so long where I've had one thing to do and it's, it's been nice. So, um, I think, I think for, I think the other guys are kind of enjoying the downtime, but it's stressful because they make money, um, with, with music. So that's a whole different animal. But, um, for just like time to kind of chill and get other shit done without the stress of preparing for a tour or like shows or, I mean, one-offs are kind of tough too. Like we were supposed to go play like Mexico city for like one day and then we were going to go play some California shows. And then we had some West coast things happening. You know, when, when you start doing where you can pick and choose worldwide, you can still stay pretty busy. People just don't know you're touring, um, because you're somewhere else. You yeah. Know? Yeah, you guys had some West Coast dates uh, that had to be. Yeah, canceled. we were supposed to play like um, Colorado and uh, like a few other places, but it all it all shit to bed. So that's just like out of sight, out of mind until it's it's back again. And we we're supposed to play this Bad Brains um, kind of uh, tribute um, for Etnies or something. There was a skate company that was doing like a, a Bad Brains line, and they wanted to kind of do a show to promote to you know promote it and so we were asked to do that and it was like yeah i love going to california and i love the bad brains and if i could help uh you know sell some gear for the guys then cool and so you're an old school dude so with are you like because every old school cat i know especially out of new york they love the bad brains that's of course like, so you're in the same boat i would you know i would i would consider myself See, you got to realize when I got into it and like I started going, getting into it in like 85, 86, that shit, that shit was already popping. And mm. I, so I don't, I don't even consider myself an old school guy. I mean, I know I am, but not for, not like real, not like A7. You consider old school guys like the guys that started like the. Yeah. Okay. Like, like yeah. Vinnie Roger, John Joseph, Harley, Jimmy, uh, HR, Daryl, yeah. like old, old heads, John Watson, uh -huh. like, the, like the dudes who were down there with 12 dudes. Todd, yeah. Todd youth rabies. So, you know, I got, I came in like right on the heels of that, but I wasn't there and I would never claim that glory and, uh, that the genius that, that it was to understand that that was happening and getting down. There. I mean, I was like fucking 12. So yeah, that too. But, um, those guys have a different distinction in my mind, you know, but I mean, yeah, I, got yeah. the, I got to see the Bad Brains play early, probably 86. I saw the Chromax play around the same time when Age of Quarrel came out. So I, you know, I got to see some sick shit, but I never got to see like Minor Thread or like the Misfits and things like that. But the, the Bad Brains sort of um, personified, you know, DC and like, New York because of the, like the diversity of it and the craziness of it 
and the energy of it of the time like they they basically embodied like the lower east side as music and it was just so much different you know it was just so it was just nuts I and mean, even if you listen to it now it's like how the fuck are these songs even written like then and hr I, one time i was working at this place just for a minute uh it was called the himsa cafe and it was all the way on the lower east side and i was washing dishes and john watson was the cook and uh there was a side window and like the first night i was washing dishes and hr popped his head in and i'm just like okay i'm standing here with john watson and hr from the bad brains is getting a uh you know food you know slid out to him out the side window and that was to me that was like the most perfect place to be in the universe at that time so when and then i met daryl and then daryl actually came to a recording session upstate one time we were recording a record and you know you just get to meet your heroes and but the bad brains were they you know for me there was everything they started everything for me yeah man the the amount of respect and love that bad brains gets it's you know, I, I wasn't there, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I, when I talk to the, you know, the bands that, that, that I love, they always love the bad brains. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I don't, I, I'm sort of like, I don't think about, I just, uh, you know, uh, I assume that everybody just has that, you know, love and affection, but people will think that shit too. Like they'll bring up, like people will say shit like about like black flag or like, you know, circle jerks or dead kennedys and sometimes i'm just kind of like eh not not my thing yeah yeah that's kind of stuff was never my thing either yeah i just like i'm you know i'm just like stupid i like hardcore and and east coast first and then whatever else happened after that's you know what i learned about after you know but i also you know but if like talking you want to talk fucking about like doo-wop or new wave i'm all over that shit too but i mean my scene was a hardcore scene and it was a new york scene so you you like doo-wops oh yeah my my one of my first girlfriends her dad gave me uh he was like a biker guy and he gave me a, a a cassette he had a briefcase and he was just like we were listening to i used to like in the car with my dad we'd always listen to the oldie station as a kid so I knew all the songs and then he gave me a briefcase that when you opened it up, it was all cassettes like locked in. Oh, wow. That's dope. Yeah. And they were all, um, and they weren't even just like one artist on it because they were like six artists per cassette and uh, like they were like mixtapes and it was all doo-wop and uh, it was like some collection he bought off like you know, like television or something, but he laced me up with that. And that was uh, pretty heavy. Uh, Who's your favorite doo-wop, doo-wop act? Um, I, yeah, I have like maybe Frankie Lyman. I really love uh, the way he sings. Um, I mean, any not even doo-wop, just any of like the 50s and 60s stuff. Yeah, yeah. But, like I think in terms of like singers um, or like the way people sing, like Aretha Franklin, people that mm. know how to use their voice and like just open up and they – they built it out properly and uh you know there's so many and you ever hear of a, a group called the moon glows the moon glows yeah that's that was my shit that's your shit the moon glows oh my god that what was it hit? what was their hit oh the uh 
they had a few among the, yeah, the I ten know. commandments of love yes 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 uh that was probably their biggest their singer his name was harvey fuqua that name alone was cool as hell but the voice <laughs> on this guy man wow <laughs> Harvey Fuqua. But I think that I think those guys, you know, those guys, those men and women of that era, I also appreciated once I started like recording music and realizing like like those guys who sat those those session players who sat in like Sun Records or you know those kind of places where you couldn't fuck up. Like if you yeah. fucked up, you were out. There was no. There was no punching you in. Like you had five people, four or five people in a room, and everybody had a nail at every take. Yeah. And that's when you. Harmonies around one microphone. Yeah. Yeah. Like things that people would find absolutely impossible. I mean, that's where I'm just like, and you have to listen to this garbage that is happening. Like now, it's like, where are the singers? Where are the performers? Where's the talent? You know? I mean, people can still write. There's a handful of writers, I think, but without help, you know, from like fucking Pro Tools and like computers and and um, pitch shifters and all this other shit, and you know, Auto Tune. It's like where are the where are the players, man? They're, yeah, that was like a real job then. That was like that. Thousands of people worked as session people. Yeah, yeah, especially vocally, there was just no. Yeah, there was no shortcuts back then, so. It was mm-hmm. what it was. Now, yeah, forget it. I mean, but then you, could, you knew you could be Pavarotti at the end of the. Oh yeah, session. you could you could be laced up. But if you knew, if you went to go see Jackie Wilson or like Little Richard or, um, you know, fucking Frankie Lyman and Miracles Elvis or or Dion, you were going to get what you heard on the record because they weren't fucking faking it. For sure, yeah. I mean, I've got to see people play, and I'm like, oh my. God, their records were basically live recordings. Yeah, they were live recordings. So when you went to go see them live, they fucking sounded great because they were great. Yeah. And even uh, when I was young, there was still like there was still people doing it on the corners. There would still be like a couple guys here and there. You know, a little fire can, a garbage can with the fire in it. And the guys are warming their hands up and, and singing in harmony. Yeah, it's that's of- pretty lucky. I never really got to in New York. I think was past that when I was when I was a kid. But my dad would always he was. I didn't even know this until I was an adult because he just kind of shut it down because he like it got taken away from him from like being like an adult and getting married at like twenty years old. But he was a musician, and I didn't even know he really. And he he was yeah. He played um, saxophone and clarinet, and he and like I was in my twenties. And I and I gave uh, I bought this uh, Buddy Rich Gene Krupa drum battle record for my friend Sammy, because um, um, I'm fucking sweet. What a guy! And, what a guy! And I had it, and I was at some family thing, and my dad saw it, and he's just like, ah, everybody, everybody was always a, a Buddy Rich guy. I was a Gene Krupa man. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? We never even had records in the house. There was no music in the house. What are you talking about? Yeah, you know I played. I played with him one time. He came to a school uh, thing and he sat in with us. Wow. And I'm looking around like I'm in the Twilight Zone. I'm like, you played with Gene Krupa? What the fuck are you talking about? 
And my mother's like, you know, he played music. And I was just like, <laughs> I know he played a saxophone at some point and he broke his jaw and he lost his lip. And they were like, he's like, no, I went to school for, for music. I'm like, you could read music. He's like, of course I can read music. And I was like, nice dad. Way to, way to share. So seeing you had no idea. That's crazy. No, I, well, the youngest, the youngest, I think gets left out of information. It trickles down and then they're kind of done telling the stories. They told somebody, they knew they told somebody along the way in the family. And then I guess it was someone else's idea or job to impart that to me. But I mean, yeah, I mean, we were already like doing, doing, doing it, you know, and he just never, he came to see like one show. I think we headlined when I did Civi, we headlined the Irving Plaza and he might've come to see one GB show like at the end, but what do you never, think? not really, you know, Italian, old Italian truck driver, he didn't give a shit, but <laughs> the, uh, he would, he would, um, he would sing sometimes. He sang like Johnny Mathis. He, had, he could, he could do it. My dad. That's cool. Kind of, and your uh, was your mom Italian too or no? Irish, classic. Oh no, Steve. Oh no, classic, tell nobody that. Come on, classic combination. You brought it up. <laughs> why are so many uh, Italians good at hardcore? Why do you think that is? Why Why are so many Italians, old Italian guys, attracted to Irish women? That is true, right? That is true. Right? You got you got you got the uh, uh, Italian dimes all over the neighborhood, and they wanted something else. They let the redhead, the gingers. Yeah, they want to maybe light eyes. To, they got their nose open. The rank of hair. Yeah, green, green eyes and, and red hair. That like is that true. Um, there are there are a lot of Italian. There are a lot of Italians in hardcore. Yeah, especially the early stuff, right? Who we got? We got we got Stigma. We got Kaminali. <laughs> yeah, uh, I th- you know what? I think New York just—I think New York just has a lot of Italians in it, and Irish. Even Craig, Craig from Sick of It All, he claims to be Italian. I'm not sure if he really is, but I don't think that's true at all. Yeah, I don't think it is either. He don't act like he's Italian. You tell he's so weird. You can tell by his demeanor and this and the the roundness of his face. He's definitely not. Yeah, Italian. he's part Polak with that head. He's got the big round head. That's yeah, there's you. You know the first, the original bass player for Leeway. Who is Anthony, that? Anthony Fauci. Yes. What do you mean, Fauci? Yes? Fauci, the, the doctor, Anthony yeah. Fauci. You yeah. knew that? That's the same guy. No, no, I'm making that up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did that to somebody the other day, too. Doesn't that sound like a hardcore guy, though, from New York, Anthony Fauci? Anthony Fauci, 100% sounds like he could He could have played in. He was like, he was, uh, it sounds like somebody that, like, hung out with Outburst and Leeway <laughs> and Token Entry. He wrote, he wrote it for all of them. Yeah, Anthony you Fauci, know, you the know, from Anthony, Outburst. Anthony Fauci. Yeah, you know him. He he, he dropped out kind of early, but I think uh, who else? This yeah, this is in uh, AJ's. AJ's Italian, right? Novella. Uh, yeah, yeah. You yeah. got AJ. You got. I mean, there's there's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot. I just think New York. New York. When I mean, growing up as a kid, that's all. Uh, that's all we thought existed was Italian and Irish people. That's all we had. And then we knew if you went three or four blocks the wrong way up this way or three or four blocks that way, you'd, you'd then you'd end up. Those other ones, the Hoyas and those types, you know. The Spanish, Spanish guys yeah. are in Corona. They're that way. And, uh, and they thought the same thing. You go, you go three or four blocks that way, you're going to run into a bunch of Ginzos, so stay over here. Yeah. That is uh, – growing up, uh, you, you know, I think you got – that's a beautiful time to come up in. It's like before my era, but 
the music it put out a little before you, during you, and a little after you. Wow. Oh yeah, no com- yeah. no complaints. I mean, eighties in New York was um was a great time. I mean, I used to think like if I could have caught it a little bit earlier and catch like the John Joseph era, like the late seventies. Um, that was and shit was really wild. I mean, but you know, growing up in New York as in Queens in the seventies and then being going into the city into Manhattan and the, and Brooklyn in the in the eighties, it was a good time to be alive. What part of Queens were you uh, from? Jackson Heights. Jackson Heights. Wow. What do you think of New York now? You still got the love for it, or changed yeah, too much? Yeah, I'm, I'm diehard. I mean, I live in I live my my family. I'm raising my family living in uh, in Harlem. So we live in New York. We live in the city. And I went from, you know, the Lower East Side to the West Village and then up to Harlem. So for me, it's it's different. Like I don't, like my wife has a place on the Lower East Side, a store, and she sees more of the gentrification. When I, when I bought up town, it was one of my friends came up and he was like, you know, it's still like old New York. It's like kind of scary, but kind of neighborhoody. And I'm like, yeah, 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 it is. Right. Like we sit on the stoop and it's like one guy walks past you and you get some fucking like mean mugging. And then another guy comes by and goes, Hey man, how you guys doing? You know? Yeah. So it was like, um, it was, there was that vibe to it, but I don't know. I'm a, I'm, uh, I'm a diehard New York guy. So I don't know if I'll ever split, and then, because when you split, can you still claim it? You know what I mean? So I don't know. It's done all the time. We know that. But, I know, but I don't know. If and it's you, true. I don't know. I don't know if it's the right thing. I could be, you know, <laughs> not my call, but. No, mine neither. But I'm just saying, I, I, I think you got to, you got to, you got to put, you got to put stakes down. You got to put roots down somewhere. And now, just, see, I love Harlem. That's cool that you're up there. Yeah. I mean, I've been here for 18 years. Because there was no way for me to to buy in New York City because of it being Manhattan and the gentrification of everywhere. Uh, even Chinatown was untouchable. So I just had to come up yeah. uh, on the west side. But I was able to, you know, do something for my kids future for my you know my my future because there's no retirement retiring from hardcore as we're seeing right now. Mm-hmm. There's no retiring from hardcore and there's no retiring from tattooing unless you make moves you know so that's what it was for me but it's like i live a half a block away from the you know west side on the parks all the way down they go all the way down to like chelsea and beyond and i got a fucking backyard so it's oh, like wow house. that's great house have been a house in the city so you're so my, yeah like people are like oh you're great you're raising your kids in harlem it's like it's the same as raising your kids anywhere else yeah no, harlem's great and then we go upstate. We also, we go upstate and it takes us two hours to go upstate. So it's no big, no big deal. I got no complaints over here. We got it good in New York, up, New York upstate New York, streeting us good. And Manhattan is, is streeting us good. You're living I mean, that people, life, Siv. Yeah, but life by design, bro. You know how we do it. You got to like just make these, uh, make decisions, make choices. And hopefully they're right. And sometimes they're right. Sometimes you fuck up. But you got to take, take the shot. Shoot your shot, bro. And how's the tattoo game going? Is it back in action? Tattoo game is back in action. I feel like maybe it's uh, my kid. I, as we're talking, my kid's uh, 
my five-year-old's naked butts looking in my face as she just took a, took a pee and flushed. When you got to go, you got to go. got to go. It don't matter what daddy's doing. I got to pee, daddy. Um, so the I think right now the tat, the tat game might have come back maybe too quick. Everybody was hot, hot to get back on the tat game or like – I hear it's really busy. It's really busy, but I'm not sure if it's sustainable. Uh, so I hope it is. But everybody's pretty busy at the shop and doing their thing. I try to just book, you know, like two things a day and just so I can kind of settle into them. I work on like uh, bigger stuff sometimes. So it's multiple sit stuff. So I like to just kind of, you know, sit in and get into that kind of a thing. So I don't try to overwhelm myself anymore. Like where I used to just be like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll do that, do that, do that, do that. Now I'm just kind of like, yeah, I'm going to do this today. What's, what's, what's uh, like more really, important to you? Like, uh, like if you could only do one thing, would it be music right. or the tattoos? Let's um, say money's not an issue just out of love. I would pick art. Hey, I think I would pick, well, if I had no, if there were money, wasn't an issue. Yeah. I actually had a really good quick conversation because Mackie asked me this Mackie from the Chromags asked mm. me this years ago and he was like, what do you, what would you rather do? Like, would you rather sing in like a hardcore band or would you rather do tattooing? And I said, well, it's not so much tattooing, but it's like art. Like I could draw or want to draw every day or paint every day. I was like, I don't need to sing every day. So taking it out of the respective genres, you know what I mean? Yeah. So not looking at it as hardcore, looking at it as tattooing, but looking at it as music or art. Um, so I would say, and I said, <laughs> I said, it's like you, I'm sure you um you know you need to play drums every day and he was like nah motherfucker i don't need to play drums at all mm. <laughs> and i was like you're the best guy ever he was like fuck i don't care about playing mackie drums." switched he was, it up on us yeah mackie just was just like i don't need to play well, for drums. sure he was gonna be like yeah i love the drums yeah i wake up and i just get in <laughs> session he's he looked at me like i had two heads he was like what a motherfucker i don't need to play the drums and i was like oh okay good you've got other other things but i mean that's that's how it is. Like I take I, that's, but I keep it fresh because I only work three days a week and then, and then I switch it up and then it's like, boom, family time, hang with the kids upstate, whatever. And, and, uh, so when I work, I'm into it. I'm not burnt out. You mm -hmm. know I mean? I've been tattooing since 92, like out of my apartment. So, you know, I, and it's, and it's every, you know, it was like five days a week, six days a week in the beginning. And that's why now, like when I just, I bounce and I just go upstate and I'm like just swimming and, and, and hanging, still drawing and getting my work now in, but I miss so many summers sitting in a tattoo shop. Like, you know, you'd be white as a fucking ghost the whole summer cause you never see the sun. Yeah. And, but that's what you gotta put, you gotta put the work in and that's what it was. So now I'm just catching, I'm just getting some summers back and, uh, that's good. Yeah, you need to, you know, I think it's healthy too. But it's also, for me, I was always a guy that was like, you got to put the time in, you got to put the work in. And you can tell who puts work in, who doesn't put work in. So I want to be a guy who put work in. And then that way I, I knew, you know, that more, you know, that Morrissey song, you just haven't earned it yet, baby. 
it's yeah. like that's a lot in my in my brain like you just you gotta you haven't earned it yet so when you when you, you'll know when you earned it when you put the time in and how about the you know the level of tattooing at this point it's pretty sick it's uh it's inspiring because you have to keep up with it or start it or um you know try to invent like new things i mean that was always fun for me like i i try to like think of some shit and there's like a bunch of tattooers now that i feel like are same thing they're like thinking they're not yeah. just doing they're really thinking about it and uh but i mean you can always nothing better than going back to the classics you know like with japanese uh and american for me, those are my two loves, you know, go back to those and just kind of settle into that, that, that style or mixing the styles. I like get Hardy style. What, what like tattoo guys out there that, that you really like that are current that you're really digging their style. Mm. Anybody in particular? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard. It's hard because I'm, I was lucky enough to get um, down with this and, and uh, be welcomed into it. Um, by some of the older heads back in the day. So like people I came up with um, that are like, you know, big, big time or influential now uh, are like friends, you know? So I still look at um, like in the traditional side of things, like uh, I'm a fan of like uh, Chad Koplinger, Steve Byrne, you know, he's always doing, they're always kind of pushing it and doing like, um, the, you know, the weird ish, um, like my friend Grimy in California, he's Grimey, always like pushing Grimy's Grimy's got the hustle too. Cause you don't see his shit. You want to see his shit. You wait like every five years and then you got to buy like a big ass book with his work in it. He can get you coming and going. Exclusive. He's got a sick hustle. Exclude. Oh, you want to see my tattoos? Yeah. Buy this hundred dollar book and then you can check my shit out. And I'm already five years past it. Once the book comes out. Hey, I, that's grime. That's a grimy move. Just show us the stuff on Instagram. No, not for nothing. No, 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 no one gets for the free. No one gets a free ride. Um, who else? My, uh, a friend of mine, Horitomo does sick, uh, Japanese stuff. Um, Grez who works at Kings Avenue, New York. He's a great, tattooer you know super clean um i think i heard about that place king's avenue yeah rubendahl is a great japanese uh style uh tattooer uh matt beckenrich um fan of his work very clean very um strong but delicate that makes sense won't be offended by that but uh i think you know, there's a, a lot of my, uh, you know, same thing with music, man. Friends are, friends are my, my heroes, you know, and like dudes who I look at their work and I'm just like, fuck. You know, there's a couple of younger dudes whose names escape me in Europe that are doing some cool stuff um, where, you know, pushing the envelope where it's like, it's just art, but as, but it's tattooable. Mm-hmm. And that's always interesting to me, like finding that line, you know, but then there's like people who are, just paint more like painters like Timothy Hoyer, who's just like a, a unbelievably productive painter. He's also a great tattooer. Um, and then like old heads like, you know, Bob Roberts and Ed Hardy, where I can always go to those guys. They're like a, a deep, deep well of inspiration. So you look at those guys, you know, for, for the, for the, the start, you know, that's, I don't even look when I want to look at reference. I don't even look on the internet. I have a library and I just go back to my books and it's like everything you guys are ripping off or doing, these guys kind of did already. And then you got to like figure out what their inspiration was, you know? 
So instead of looking at someone's tattooing, go get a fucking, you know, Hogai book or a Hokusai book or a Kuniyoshi book or, you know, and then like, and reference that. So that's where, that, that's where my, my, where I came up, it was all about having like a library and reference and books and knowing what the fuck you were talking about. You probably got a crazy collection. I, I am a collector. I have a pretty solid collection of uh, originals and flash and, and machines and books and, but it wasn't, it was, you just had, when I came up, it was like, you had to, it was kind of like, same thing with like hardcore, like your record collection. You know what I mean? You had to have skins, brains, and guts. You had to have United Blood. You had to have a fucking Misfits, you know, seven inch. You had to have, uh, you know. Do you have a ton of vinyl? I have a good amount because what's, I never. What's the most prized? I never, I never sold anything. Uh, I only sold one thing when I, when I had a, I had to show some um, legit money. You know, like when you're trying to do something and they're like, well, bro, you just can't, you got to show where that came from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like what why it's like laws so i had to show some money when i got my house upstate and uh i sold uh, my chunking record my judge chunking can suck it record shit. which i got from purcell when they first did it i was at i think i told the story uh, somebody but i was over at purcell's apartment when that came out and i was at the chunking uh, uh, studio recordings because they would be doing late night recordings because it was cheaper but I was kind of sitting in and being like you know no that wasn't it that sucked whatever do it you know do it again but I was only there a couple times <laughs> I like and, how honest you are too that's always dope I well can, well I mean you're, it's your friends calling you them out. Yeah, yeah. You, you want it to be the best if you're a friend who hears something is wrong and you don't say anything you're not a friend yeah you don't gas them up for no reason gas them up when you're, you're I don't you know I gas them up when it's done and and the work's in but like if my friends are doing something and it sucks it's my job to be like that wasn't I like you know, that be better and that, and I would expect them to do it to me I mean I've sung songs a thousand fucking times you know what i mean mostly because walter wasn't paying attention or as we said i'm really wasn't paying attention in the studio they're like having fucking you know drinks and chatting and i'm just like can someone please pay attention to what i'm doing and tell me if that was good but uh purcell was like here take one of these you got one of these there's only a hundred and i was like eh, i'm good man and he was like take take the record you know it's cool and i was like take it yeah. what's wrong with you I'm good. I was like, I'm meeting somebody for lunch. I don't have a bag on me. I don't want to walk around the Lower East Side all day holding this fucking vinyl. And he kind of forced it on me. So luckily he did. Um, but yeah, then my friend, years later, I think in like 2006 or seven, my friend Chris Lisk, who used to work for Paul Frank, he hooked us up with some stuff and he came over and he was like, can I look at your vinyl? And I was like, yeah, like it's somewhere in a milk crate or a couple of milk crates. And he went through it and he was, he was like, dude, what the fuck? Like these aren't in dust jackets. I was like, I don't even know what a dust jacket is. I was like, those, they're records, man. You play them. And he's like, these are fucking, this is sick. This is sick. This, and I was like, these are just things I had from, I just didn't throw, throw them out or sell them or get rid of them. You know what I mean? So, but when time came, I had a friend in Europe who was a collector and uh, I knew I could, uh, and I looked at it and I was like, I don't even think I played this record. I love Judge, one of my favorite bands. And I love mm-hmm. everybody and it plays in the band. But I was like, I'm not attached to this. I didn't record this. These aren't my songs. I didn't sing on this. You know what I mean? So I was just like, 
I can, I can part with this and, ha- and let someone else have it now. It's just been sitting in my house for, you know, fucking 25, 30 years, whatever it was. Yeah. So uh, I was able to part with that when it's my own shit or something I have more of a sentimental attachment to, like, I don't know if I could sell like uh, United blood seven inch, you know what I mean? Or I could, I couldn't sell like my agnostic front record because that's like changed. Uh, that's kind of the worm turned with that for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? But if I, you know, those things, they're also investments. So you keep them until, you know, they're not going to like go down, you know, it's like, when the, when you collect art or uh, things like that, you know, original artwork is always going to, you know, stay somewhere as with value. But if can we find out what what uh, you got for that record? I I don't want you know. <laughs> Come on, Sippy. Talking talking money is I, it is, but you know we're all record nerds around here, so it was it was it was what it, I got what it was worth, plus maybe a little more because the dude was nice enough to say. Well, this was your record, so that to me has more value. So I said, "That's that awesome." Very nice of you, but um, yeah, I, I try to keep it classy. I don't want to talk money. Yeah, you know, we just, <laughs> but, but it helped. It helped. It helped. It helped smooth things over. And somebody said to me, I quoted my friend Shane, who's a, a machine guy and a, a tattooer, and because he was selling some stuff, and I hit him up. I said, "Yo, why are you selling?" You know, because I know he knows he he they're treasure to him. And he, I said, why are you selling these? And he's like, I'm buying a house. He was selling tattoo machines. He's like, I'm buying a house. I need uh, down payment money quick. And I said, I know, but he's like, you know, so you're going to get rid of a Paul Rogers machine. And he was just like, Hey man, you can't live in a machine. And I said that to my friend, Chris, he was like, you sold your Chung King record. I said, you can't swim in a record, man. That's right. You know, you can't, you, you got to think about what you're, what you're gaining from, uh, from things. It is hard for me to get rid of stuff. I actually just went through it cause I'm like right now I, I'm, I'm, I'm fixing up a, a, a fucking barn and I got to knock down a house upstate and I'm like, I was like looking through my machines and stuff and I was like, maybe I could get rid of this. And I was like, ah, make the move. That's what it's there for. It's but, money but in the bank. I, but, then, but then I just go, eh, I just work a few more days and, and put some money aside and try to, you know save save it that way i'll see it's like it's like it's just in case money or like backs against the wall money but that's also you have this treasure man the fucking shit's treasure that's how i got a lot of the stuff too like old i would meet old dudes and they would have shit and i would just be tripping and they could see the the struggle and the torment in my face like how much i love this you know (laughs) piece of flash and they were like god you really um, think this is something i'm like fucking treasure man you got you got a treasure chest here you know they're like, and go so ahead, they would, take it. Yeah, they'd bless me up with some stuff, and you know, I buy stuff. But a lot of it was gifted, just because they could know I was going to take care of it. You know, one that, dude that, called me, and cool. he was just like, "I know you'll take care of my shit when I go." And he was passing, and I and uh, I got his collection, and that you know, I'm so grateful and fortunate for that. And I, I got a, I have a box as as a collector or like you know nerd. You you'll 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 enjoy this. I have a I bought this guy's collection of his paper and flash and books and, and stuff like that. And I was going through it with him and he was in this like biker, this biker's trailer. And I was like sitting on the floor with him and I was in there for like five hours. The dude who gave me a ride fell asleep. He's like, I thought you were dead, man. He's like, I just I figured I'd sit out here until the cops came. And uh, I came out with all this shit and had to wake him up. And I was sitting there and he goes through his collection 
And uh, he's like, I pull out a box and it's like, it looks like it's a book and it's in a box and it's from a, a company, a Spalding and Rogers company. And uh, I said, what's this? And he looks at it and he's like, I don't know. And I said, you never opened it? And he's like, no. I said, all right. Oh, shit. He's like, so, so it could have been, you know, uh, a lot of things. And I was like, all right. And I started laughing. He's like, you want it? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, okay. And I put it in the pile of stuff that I was going to get from him. I was going to buy from him. And he goes, well, you can have it, but you can't open it. Oh, and I, I was like, I like this. I love me too. So I just went, all right. And he's like, all right. And that was it. And uh, it's in, it's up in the library unopened. Wow. I still don't know what's inside. <laughs> How the hell do you resi and resist? Because I gave my word. I said, I said, okay. And it's like the, the, the sickness and the humor in it uh, doesn't escape me. I enjoy it. I that guess. is pretty like cool. People, people are like, I'll fucking open it for you. I said, we can't open it. Well, he said, you can't open it. He didn't say this, this guy can't open it. But it was implied that it can't maybe, be opened. Maybe we got to get a lawyer on it. I don't know if that's the case. We might have to. We might have to see <laughs> what kind of precedents are out there on that one. But that, that's uh, really cool. Yeah, I mean, it's fun when people are looking like, "What's this?" I'm like, "I don't know." We don't know. Nobody knows. I'm not allowed. Nobody to know. knows. Could be the best thing ever. <laughs> you well, know, uh, the question I asked you earlier, I said uh, the tattooing over music. Remember what I question I asked you on tour. Uh, the straight edge versus uh, veganism. Yeah, I asked you and Toby. Yes. And honestly, I th the, what I thought your responses would be were reversed from what they really were. Because he said straight edge, right? He did. He said straight edge. Yeah. For the people at home, I put poor Toby and Siv in a really tough situation. <laughs> I felt good about it. <laughs> if if one only one of these things you could you could do, you could be, you could be about because they're both vegan they're both straight edge which one would you choose vegan or straight edge you can only choose one and you went with the vegan yeah i don't even i, I don't even think about it i would be like uh it wasn't even a question it's not anything that i would torture myself over like uh you know so were you surprised with toby's response i actually think i I was sort of, but then I do remember him being, uh, you know, we've had conversations through the years and he'd just be like, oh, I don't think, you know, I don't, I don't think, uh, you know, dairy's, you know, really, you know, that bad or, or harmful. And I like eating cheese when he still ate cheese, you know, but, and that's always the, that's always the thing with vegans or separating and being from vegetarian. It's like the ease of eating a fucking slice of pizza or something that yeah. comfort. And now it's just easy, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. The straight edge thing is, um, is a personal, is a personal, uh, choice. And at this point, at this point in like my, my life, and I'm sure you, you probably feel like the same way. It's like, I don't think about it, about drinking or like as an issue, but I don't think I could mostly because of um, how it would affect other people and their view and like a scene as a whole kind of a thing mm -hmm. where you need to not me, not me personally, I'm not putting myself in like this sort of like pedestal position, but you need people 
to be the guys who still, you know, wave the flags. Totally. Uh, it would be a slap in this whole scene's face if, if you see? sold out. <laughs> see? No pressure. But that's, I, I don't, uh, that's, that's how I feel like I couldn't do it to the, to the people who are counting on me not to do it. And yes. so there's a pressure there for me. Um, but really my real address, I don't even, honestly, I don't even fucking think about it cause I just don't do it. But there's the real thing is I would not be able to mentally handle people popping shit to me. Mm. So that's the real, <laughs> me, that's the real deciding factor why I wouldn't, I wouldn't drink, but I would drink before I, I fucking killed something or hurt something yeah. to survive. I mean, that's what we, we discussed that. It's like, this is, I would only be doing uh something to myself i wouldn't be affecting anyone else in like a negative way and if i had to do something where it was you know, an animal is factory farmed or, or or herd or you know whatever i wouldn't do it yeah so that's that's just me and what do you like uh what was the point who made you vegan like who turned you on to that i i me and my friend Danny, when we were really young, we were, you know, we were into punk rock and like the AF record really changed a lot of shit for us. And I, um, we, we started kind of questioning everything mm. and you kind of like reverse parent yourself and you think what was going on. And then you get into like, I was brought up like Catholic was that the right thing? Is there religion? Is there, you know, a God? Is there men in this, men or women in the sky? And it's like, then you start feeling like, this is fucking ridiculous. Everything I've learned is ridiculous. Mm. And it just got into like the fucking five, you know, the, the basic food groups. And then it was like, why the fuck am I eating, you know, dead things? And then I got this Krishna book, called a higher taste i was already vegetarian at the time and then i got this krishna book and it's called a higher taste i think and um and i was just kind of reading it and it like it sort of like armed you with arguments you know for or for people who are going to say like oh but it's natural and we're meant to and you're a carnivore you're an omnivore and you're this and you're that and so i was vegetarian for probably like three or four years and then i went to on tour and i went to england and I walked by this like cruelty free shop and it was like mostly just, you know, they were selling things, uh, with, uh, anecdotes of, uh, veganism and slogans and stuff on it. And I've got some pamphlets and I got like a, what a book and I got like a mug and a t-shirt and, uh, and then there was a fur free March, like the same weekend. And then it just kind of like all clicked in my head and I was just kind of like, yeah, what the fuck, you know, factory farming, dairy, I'm not a baby cow kind of simplicity. But then um, when my oldest kid was born, I was like, she's 18. So I was like, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing, raising her vegan. And I was, so I had like a moment. So I was like, all right, I want her to be able to choose. Cause I figured if I raised her vegan, there might be a rebellion later on and, uh, or some sort of anger towards that, uh, growing up. Mm, very possible. Um, 
very possible. We all got to rebel against something. And I didn't yeah. want the rebellion to be about that. So, um, I, when she was, so this is 18 years ago. So I was like, all right, I'm going to, uh, introduce cheese in her diet just so that she has the enzymes to, uh, be able to, uh, digest dairy if she wants to, because if you wait too long, you know, lactose intolerant, and it's like a whole other issue. So, and and veganism wasn't as prevalent as it was. It wasn't beyond you know burgers and all this you know cashew. It was you were eating fucking tofu still, and like maybe you'd have some you know soy cheese here and there, but it wasn't as easy as it is now. Mm-hmm. And when you have kids, you know it's fucking pain in the ass to go to a birthday party with one special vegan scone for your kid as a try and eat fucking uh-huh. chocolate cake and it's a pizza party and you got to go and buy your own fucking pizza pie for your kid, you know? So no matter what, they're fucking, they're out of uh, sorts unless you grow up in some kind of like special little community. But long story short, I was like, all right, you know, um, let her eat like pizza and like, you know, some fucking string cheese once in a while. And also, you know, so she was eating soy cheese or, some uh, other other uh, options. Mm-hmm. So I stopped, and I didn't want to be like hypocritical, like, oh, daddy's not going to eat that shit, but you can eat it. But so we ate like dairy for a few years and probably, you know, two or three years, and then I went back to being vegan, and that's probably been like, I don't know, 12 or 15 years being back being vegan. And how about your daughter? Does she... Uh, she still, she, every once in a while, she'll probably, I don't even... No, like I know she's still vegetarian and every once in a while she'll like, you know, probably catch a slice of pizza or something. Yeah. And yeah, you know, there's something very social and uh comforting about eating with your friends and food and as long as it's not like super harmful, there's those options. So but she's solid with that. My little one, my little one, she's gonna be six in two weeks and she's been uh raised vegan and because it's just easier now. And she's all on board. She's she's hyped. She's she, since she's been able to talk, she asks, you know, she'll be at like her cousin's house or her, her grandmother's house and she's just like, uh, is this vegan? That's that's really cool though, man. Yeah, she like well, she knows why she's she knows why. Yeah. So that's the thing. If you kind of say like we don't do this and this is where we're at. So hopefully, you know, you're, you're on board. You have no choice right now because you're six, but this is why. Yeah. <laughs> this is, now, this if, is if, if like she's 10, 11, you catch her eating some, some cheese, you throw her beating or you just forgive? What do you do? Uh, I would just, I would probably just be like, Hey, you know, you know, that's uh, from a cow. How you feel about that? I'm yeah. like one of those, like, tell me about your feelings kind of dad. Sometimes that's good. That's the way to be. I mean, my dad, I mean, I think about what my dad made me when I was a kid, you know, told me to try it. I mean, you know, not a lot of people ate fucking gabuzel and uh, oh. things like that. So when you're watching your dad suck an eyeball out of a sheep's skull. Oh, like, my God. He said, Yo, try the cheek meat. And you're like, <laughs> cheek right, meat. I guess I'll try it. That's brutal. <laughs> Eat the tripe. See, on one hand, you're very, you know, tell me about your feelings, this and that. And on the other hand, you're like, oh, I'm not going to, you know. Stop being straight edge because I don't want to hear people popping off. I wouldn't be able to handle that well. So it's like you got like <laughs> almost like a kind of a split personality a little bit. You know what I mean? I, I there's definitely something wrong with me. Or I wouldn't be in the scene, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I can't. I, take I, and shit. I love that reason, by the way. That that's your reason. That's like the best reason. I've oh, ever that's done. enough for me to like. That's for me not to take fucking shit from somebody who I think I don't want to take shit from which is pretty much nobody. Yeah. Um, uh, it's worth it. 
I think that's, there's two, there's two, I think there's two main catalysts for me to do anything is not to hear, not to have to take shit from somebody. And the other motivating factor is to piss people off. Wow. That's real punk rock right there. That's really cool. <laughs> I, I, I really like enjoy, I enjoy the like burning, the burn, not even in a bad way, but the burning of people. Yeah. And, you, and they're like, Oh, I could relate. That's, that's why cool. I enjoy the. That's why I enjoy the merch game, the T-shirt game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is there? Some kind of crazy science behind it? You're trying to make people nuts with it. I just wanna. I just wanna bring like sh- just straight fire every time we bring a new shirt out and just yeah. bum people out that they didn't think of that shirt. People bug out. You know how like at that tour we did with you guys in January. I'm. I had to bring home so much Gorilla Biscuits merch with me. People hit me up to see in pictures. I don't even think people, some people don't even like it, but there's just something they want to have. They have to have it. I'm never going to wear this yellow shirt, but I have to have it. They had to have it. So many people. They'd send me a picture that they saw online somewhere. They'd circle the shirt. Please find this in medium. Please find this one in in double. I was like, holy (laughs) shit. The whole tour. You're like, like, no. Now I got got everybody's, all their stuff. And uh, even the toys, the little toy. Oh, yeah. you're a good guy. Yeah, because that's the least I could do. You know what I mean? And that's like the most you can do. That's a pain in the ass on tour. Yeah, but yeah, I'm not doing nothing anyway. I'm just sitting around. <laughs> I'd be like, I'd be like, yo, man, I don't have the, I don't, I don't have the toys. I just help make them. I don't know where they are. Man. Call somebody. Sometimes and, I'll be like, some, some of my friends will put a thing up like, yo, I'm looking for this, and it's like, bro, I got five of those. Just let me know. I gotta buy that shit. That's my. That is an issue I have. I give. I give a lot of my shit away. Yeah, it's, it's hard not to, right? Yeah, like my friend Chris when he worked for um, Paul Frank, they made these like vegan GB wallets. I thought they were fucking you That's know dope. silly, but people liked them. They were limited collection kind of a thing. And he came. He came over. He came over and he was just like talking about it. And I was like, I don't have. I, I was like, I don't have any of that shit. And he's like, well, you don't have any of the wild stuff? I gave you five. I was like, no, people want them. I gave them away. Mm. So he sent me one in a, in a frame, like a oh, box, yeah? in a glass frame with a note and said, don't sell, don't sell this one. Like this one's for you. And you know, right now there's a, there's a, fr- uh, there's a frame with the back ripped out of it uh-huh. with the note, no wallet. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, you gave it away? Yeah, I gave that one away too. Oh my God. Come on. I'm not going to use it. But, you know, you know, but there's only certain, there's certain stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Well, yeah. yo, Steve, I'm let, I'll let you do your thing, yo. We really appreciate this. No, of course. Anytime, man. I, I, and we we, we, we uh, had a good chop up. If we ever want to do a round two, let me know. This was fun. I actually got to jump in the shower and go to work, but it's all good. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, a lot of times what we do, we, we uh, after an interview, we put questions out if the guy wants to come back to people and we get a bunch of questions or yeah 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 i'd be into uh if there's things i mean i couldn't imagine anybody fucking having uh like caring what i really have to say or but if they have a weird question or something that i'll answer or something someone wants to know about that's really cool yeah for real yeah we'll set some up we appreciate it man and uh be safe out there thank you tell the boys i said what's up definitely all right homie do your thing peace later Thanks a lot for listening. We really appreciate it. Post America Podcast will always be there for you. Don't forget that. Tune in next time for more fun with the boys. Until then, 
get your fucking ass out of here before I give you a smack, motherfucker. Who the fuck you think you in? This is post America. You ain't shit, motherfucker.